lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a really thoughtful show today. I've got Ambika Davey, and she is on a peace-building mission to help people realize their true nature so that they can step out of the churning river of thoughts and activity of the mind, stop wearing insane schedules like badges of honor, and begin their days reinforced with the calmness a meditation practice begins. With 44 years of experience, 13,000 plus hours of study, and having taught over 19,000 people the art of meditation, Ambika gives you five clear steps that lead you directly into a deep state of meditation. And I'd be willing to bet she's going to do that for us today. As a coach, she places you precisely on your path using tools from her different degrees in the fields of study, including a master's in yoga and meditation and a bachelor degree in astrology and fine arts. As an international best-selling and award-winning author, she helps you bring your vision of a book into reality. As a speaker, she motivates and inspires audiences so that they feel empowered to transform themselves and help others. Ambika has appeared on the Learning Channel, syndicated in public radio, and in different periodicals, as a relationship and communication expert and taught holistic health at the university level for 21 years. Thank you so much for being with me today. It's my absolute pleasure, Lee. Thank you for having me. You know, I have to tell you, I've been looking forward to this show because one of the things that I talk with every client that comes in the Brain Performance Center about is meditation, is trying to calm the brain down. And, you know, I talk about breathing. And while they'll do it in the office with me, I'll ask them, well, did you work on your breathing, you know, after the show? And no, no, I didn't. And so I dig down a little bit and I ask him, well, why not? And I think, you know, people think that meditation is just, it's very, it's very magical for some people. You know, and I hope that you could help me to demystify what uh, everything around meditation today that's my number one goal that's my absolute hope as well lee i think there is a lot of confusion around meditation one of the things i run into the most is the idea of people wanting to try and force the mind or force the attention and so when i teach brand new people who haven't any kind of experience with something like maybe a yoga class or anything having to do with it, I first talk about tuning into the physical body and the physical senses. And then I teach them about a higher level of sensing and then what would be considered psychic sensing, like clairvoyance and claircognizance. And when we're meditating, we are actually withdrawing. So we're pulling back from all of these layers and levels of sensing. And that's where the biggest confusion is. Because I I think when people are trying to focus and force attention, it's taking them away from what the meditative state truly is, which is deeply relaxing and a way to clear out 
the the mind and the chatter and the recent memories and subvocalization that runs through all the time. And you know that is hard to do because we all think about you know I'll just focus on something else. I'll distract myself. I'll do this. I'll do that. And that's not the answer. I mean, as you you know you said that the answer lies within being able to quiet the mind. Mm-hmm. Yes, and. That's difficult for most people. This is also what I see people struggling with when it comes to trying to sleep or if they awaken in the night and they're trying to get back to sleep. That sub-vocalization, we all need to understand that happens to all of us. Even those that we think are, we might even think they're enlightened beings. And there are enlightened beings walking the planet with us. But if we're in a human body, we are all dealing with the same things. And the tools that I found work the most profoundly, the quickest, and the easiest are one, what you mentioned earlier, which is using the breath and specific breathing techniques, and then also sound, using our own voices. And this all has to do with the area of the throat. In the traditions that I come from, which are based from yoga, Ayurveda, and Jyotisha, these, these elements are very, very powerful and profound, using breath, using sound in our own voices to change energy and change the way we feel. Well, what do you think is the biggest barrier for people? Is it in their head that they don't know how to do it? Or is it that they can't, they just simply can't calm the, the brain down enough to try it? Mm. I think there's many, many barriers. I've encountered so many over the years. Uh, definitely what you've mentioned of, I don't think I can, or I tried it and it doesn't work for me. But I think the most profound is, I don't know if I'm there. And that's what I've been really focused on in my teaching and in working with clients to give information and guide them into the state of meditation so that they can have a full bodily felt sensation of it. If you think back to when we were little kids, we didn't really believe something because somebody told us it was true. We trusted our, usually one of our parents or an elder that raised us. There was usually somebody for, I'd say, the bigger percentage of us who we would believe and trust if they told us something. And I don't know if you've ever run into this, but I have, where I'm telling somebody information and they, they're just not believing me. But then later they come back to me and they give it to me as if they're teaching it to me. <laughs> and I found out that they learned it from somebody else. And I, I say to them, but this is exactly what we spoke about. You know, I, I talked about this. This is how I, I presented it to you. And it's great that you got it now. It doesn't matter that you didn't get it from me. But in going through that experience a number of times, I realized, well, it's because the person just didn't have a bodily felt sensation of trust or belief that whatever the information I was giving them was truth. We've got to find that inner truth. And I think that's where the hang up is. 
Well, and I, you know, now that you point that out to me, I totally agree with that because that's that becoming more self-aware and being able to listen to our body. And that's really hard for, for a lot of people to do. Oh, most definitely. We're not taught to. We're taught to numb the body. We're taught that anything and everything is potentially a symptom. And then there's something we can put in our mouths to change it instead of looking at things like, how am I taking care of my body? Uh, let's let's talk about sleep, which is something I'm very interested in. Uh, you know, are, are you bathing before you try to go to bed? And a lot of people only bathe once a day. It's a good idea to bathe in the morning and the evening because this helps the body to clear out and cleanse out. The, the energy around the body shrinks into the physical body. We have all these energetic layers and they'll shrink in when the body's in water. So whether we're in a tub or in the shower and it's kind of like squeezing a sponge, it squeezes out the energy and then like an exhalation, it it gives forth to an inhalation. So then we can bring in more peaceful, calming energy. So imagine if you've been having trouble or challenges getting to sleep at night, what would it be like if you took a hot bath or hot shower and then really looked at what kind of media you're putting into yourself after that? Maybe even turning the lights down or lighting a candle and and uh, just calming yourself down with some soothing music. Uh, everybody's nighttime habit is different, and I understand we all have them. I don't have anything against watching some uh, television at night because that does help to bloom some serotonin in our system, and, and that can be happy, you know? That can be a happiness chemical reaction. But if we're falling asleep, listening or watching news, that is not a healthy way to calm the mind at night. No, I find that that, you know, watching the news excites my mind and it, it gets me questioning, why is that happening? Why aren't people doing something about that? Mm. Instead of winding me down and sleep is really I'm amazed at how many people have trouble with their sleep. And, you know, not to I try to wake them up by saying, do you know how important sleep is to brain health? Because all day long, you've got those neurons and dendrites wiring and firing, creating all that toxic energy. The only time those little glial cells can come out and clean that mess up is when you're asleep. And sometimes the look on you know people's faces like, what? I mean, sleep is our basis, just as diet is. And I know you're a big believer in diet. Yes, absolutely. Although I would not put hard, hard barriers and boundaries on people. Everything has to be modified just a little bit at a time or people hit the brakes. So I think that goes back to your initial question that you gave me of, you know, why is it so difficult? Because if a person doesn't have a positive experience the first time, are they going to go back to that? No, they're not. And a matter of fact, I think they become afraid of going back to that. Oh, well, definitely depends on what the experience is, but that inner child reacts pretty quickly and then creates some really hard and fast opinions about whatever it is we're trying to give them. And when we're trying to modify behavior, 
I'll tell you, behavior is the possession that people do not want to change or let go of. Well, and that's we've talked before about lifestyle choices and how oftentimes changing our lifestyle choices can be one of the hardest things that people can do. Absolutely. So it's really important to just do a little bit at a time. Like I think about someone like Marie Kondo who just, you know, goes into somebody's house and pulls everything off the shelves and makes a big pile. I think that's great if you're clearing out uh, physical things, but then you do have to go through every little thing and look at it and ask yourself, you know, why am I holding on to this? And uh, does this spark joy? We have to do that with what we're putting in our bodies. But for some reason, we've, through society and and, uh, domestication, we have become such a, a society of, I want it now, I want it fast. And the things that help slow us down or like creating a meal slowly from scratch has been kind of bred out of a lot of people. I I wonder, you know, how many people will take an hour and a half to create a meal just for themselves? Not very many. Mm. that i that that i speak to in my clinic and and i'm going to be very honest with you i don't do that for myself very often oh and and then you know we used to be able to go to the store and buy greens in bunches now it comes pre-washed in plastic containers you know that that takes us away from connecting with the earth it does And also, I wonder, you know, what are they washing it in? How much nutrition is still in these leaves? Uh, I notice myself, I, look, there've been times I've, I've grabbed a box of spinach leaves, but when I am able to get a fresh bunch of spinach, there's such a vast difference in how it tastes and how I feel that i I'd rather not, you know, I mean, I've come to the place where unless it's dire and that is the only choice, no, I'll, I'll pass on it. But most people don't even know what the taste of a real spinach leaf plucked right from the earth tastes like. You're exactly right. You know, my, I, when I get asked questions about diet and I do quite often, you know, what's the best diet? Is it the, you know, the paleo? Is it the Mediterranean? And my answer is if it comes in a box, a bag, or a can, stay away from it. You know, instead of focusing on what diet you're on, stay away from processed foods. Mm. Uh, well, even even beyond that, though, let's look at the word diet. Diet means what we eat. So the idea of diet is what your choices are. So an elephant's diet is what they forage and and eat. A lion's diet is what it hunts and eats. Our human diet is what our choices are. So these these things that we call diets, like paleo and uh, all, all these other things, they're regimes. Those aren't diets. That's a good way to classify it. You know, we've, we've talked about diet, we've talked about sleep, and but I know at your heart, you're a yogi. Oh, most and, definitely. <laughs> and how, how have you used that to help you balance your life? Mm, well, it came into my, my life very, very early. And 
there are, it's not just a stretchy pants exercise program. It is a science of living and life. Yoga, the, the asana, the postures that have become an exercise program are just a tiny, tiny portion of it. And uh, it is a lifestyle. So taking that on very early, that has become my lifestyle. Um, uh, do I do postures on the floor? Yes. Do I do sun salutations? Yes. But do I do a specific regime of them? Not always. Uh, there are a few postures I make sure I do on a regular basis. Uh, pranayama, which are the breathing exercises daily and meditation daily. But really yoga is about meditation. And then meditation, there's seated meditation where we're sitting quietly, the back is straight, the eyes are closed, and we're withdrawing from the senses. But then when we become more advanced, we learn how to function in a meditative state. And then later we can even learn how to find a yogic level of sleep, which is like lucid dreaming. Well, I know dreaming is something that, you know, a lot of people, well, personally, I believe I'm connecting to my subconscious in my dreams. Um, not that I'm a real big Freud fan, but I do, <laughs> I do believe that. Well, dreaming is, um, is very interesting. There are the dreams that we tend to have earlier in the, let's say we're sleeping for an eight hour period. So in the early hours, those would be dumping out information from the day. And then uh, that's the first phase of dreaming. Then the second phase would be kind of disjointed. And that could be clearing out subconsciousness. And then the deeper state of dreaming uh, is can give forth information and insights or uh, be quite fantastic. Uh, in some in some perspective views, though, dreaming is considered disturbed sleep. So, uh, like, for instance, in traditional oriental medicine, so acupuncture theory, dreaming is considered a disturbance. Hmm. So is it considered insufficient sleep? It's not uh, restful, as restful as Think about it. When have you ever had a sleep where you, you know, maybe you were out hiking, you were in nature, you had really great exercise, lots of fresh air, you ate well that day, and you slept like a rock. You laid down, you went to sleep, and when you woke uh, the next day, you weren't even sure if you moved. That's that's deep sleep. You probably didn't have any dreams. Can you awaken and remember a dream and still feel really rested? Yes. But uh, I'm just saying in that one tradition, dreaming is not considered a healthy state of sleep. Well, you know, it's interesting because what I have found at the Brain Performance Center, one of the things that really interferes with sleep is when people are trying to deal with their emotions. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. That's what runs the subvocalization. And, it, you know, it's it's like they just can't turn it off. And it's almost like going to sleep, particularly if they've had trauma in their life. They close their eyes and that just amps it up. Mm -hmm. Most so definitely. For, 
for people that do have sleep issues, what do you advise them? What are, you know, what are a few things that they can do to improve their overall sleep? I can tell you, uh, I'm a light sleeper. I have to have my room super dark. I have to have the temperature down very cool. And uh, if I do awaken or I'm feeling agitated or for whatever reason, I'm lying in my bed and I don't feel like I can get into the state of sleep, I do what's called a square breath. And it's really easy. So may I share it with you? Please do. Okay. So we can, I'm sure, you know, like you said earlier, you tell people, you know, were you breathing? Did you take a deep breath? But I'm going to give you some specific information on how to do it. So in order to get a deep breath, we first have to empty out. And most of us are only breathing in a tiny portion of the lungs, about one eighth. So we're not getting in deep enough into the lungs. Now, if I ask you to take a deep breath, you're probably not going to be able to take much in. So let's begin with an exhalation. So try to blow out all the air. And I don't mind if you use your mouth or your nose. Just blow out the air and draw your tummy in and see if you can push even more air out before you breathe again. And then inhale deeply. And if you can, through your nose. And then just hold it for just a moment and then exhale slowly, trying to double the length of the inhalation with the exhalation. Now let's take one more deep breath in. And pause and notice you probably are feeling like you're taking more in right now. And then exhale. Now, if we continue to breathe like this each time, we can lengthen the inhalation and then work at doubling the length of the exhalation. That's just taking a regular yogic breath. A square breath is where we use the same amount of time on the inhalation and the exhalation, and we practice what in yoga we call kumbhaka. This is the pausing or the cessation of breath. I did ask you to pause just before, but now we're going to pause a little bit longer. So we're going to use a four count, and I'll snap my fingers like this to count four. And so we'll inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for four, hold for four, and we'll do that three times. We'll experiment, see how this feels. So before you do it, Lee, what I want you to do, and anybody listening in live right now or in the recording later, I want you to make sure when you're doing this, you're not operating a car or heavy equipment. Good point. <laughs> because you might want to close your eyes and turn inward. So exhale, and then we'll breathe in for four. Pause. Exhale. Pause. Inhale. Pause. Exhale. Draw your tummy in. Pause. One more breath like this. Inhale. Pause, exhale, and relax. 
Tell me what changed. I I actually struggled only exhaling for the count of four. Mm. And I and I kind of got because the way I've always what I've focused on just personally mm-hmm. is to try and make my exhale twice as long as my inhale. Mm-hmm. So I got so caught up in the fact that I wasn't out of air and, <laughs> and I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Well, then your four count could be slower. Yes. You know, just slow down the four count. But that would be a square breath. And for me, especially, you know, if you if you feel anxious, this will help. When you're anxious, you usually can't take breath for as long. And doubling the exhale is great. You can do that, too. There are many, many breathing techniques. I created a course called End Sleep Envy. And in it, I give different breathing techniques every day because some are going to feel right and some you won't want to do. And that's just the truth. Everybody's a little different. No, I think you're right on that. And and people ask me, well, how should I breathe? Find whatever works for you, what resonates with you and do it. Yeah, definitely. But I think I think the best is just teach a person how to take a long, deep breath in and then how to pause. It's the pausing, the cessation of the breath where the mind is quiet. The mind cannot chatter when we're holding our breath. And I like to think about little kids. Have you ever seen a little kid get angry and hold their breath? Oh, yeah. Ah, Well, they're smart. That's how they get their head to stop chattering. It's amazing what we, you know, what we learn out of just survival. Right. And, and that's what little kids do. They they do, you know, if they feel like dancing, they dance. If they know they need to, to stop the chatter in their brain, they hold their breath. That's that's really amazing. And, and I think that in breathing is in my office. I try to talk about heart rate variability. If you slow your breath rate down, you slow your heart rate down. If you can get those two to dance together. You can create heart rate variability. And I've seen just the best studies for even for people like with diabetes Mm. about how if you can create that heart rate variability, Mm -hmm. you create wellness in your body. And I think, you know, you also feel like you're more in control of things. Absolutely. I I think also we human beings, we we try to overcomplicate things and it really can be a lot more simple, a lot easier and a lot more accessible. Well, I think you're right. I think we all, you know, we want to we we want to control and we want to control everything. And one of the things I, I try to get people to do is just focus on what you can control. And what you can control is yourself, how you feel. Are you choosing to be happy today? Are you cho- choosing to be agitated because of what that person said to you? You know, focus on what you can control because so much of what goes on in our outer environment we can't control. And I hope, you know, we're going to we're going to take a break, but when we come back, I really want to hear more about, you know, I, I watched a video that you did on aloneness. And for so many people that means that means they're lonely, but not for you. Mm-hmm. So when we want to come back, I want to start off with that and learn more about it. We'll be back these messages. Close your eyes and imagine living your life without limits. Where would you go? Who would you meet? What would you do? 
During an Uncover Your Hidden Genius session, you will discover what's keeping you from living your life with purpose, passion, and fulfillment of your potential. You'll get a clear vision of the steps you need to take to uncover your hidden genius so that you can live a life without limits. Sessions can be done over the phone, Skype, or in person. Find out more at www.JoyceBufordEmpowers.com or by calling 903-287-0747. It's Merging If you have a lot of spizzerinktum or the will to win and you have a strong desire to be a part of your favorite sports team, the National Hockey League might be for you. Did you know that if both goalies on an NHL hockey team are injured, anyone at the game is eligible to step in and play the part? Teams have resorted to using their coaches, team owners, and even their web designers to fill in for injured goalies. It's as simple as slipping into your breezers or hockey pants. The original hockey puck was made out of frozen cow dung. The fastest puck shot on record was clocked at 114 miles per hour. And I'd like to take this opportunity to send out a special thanks to the men and women of our armed forces serving our country around the world. It's marching day I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. back and we spent the first half of the show talking about the importance of sleep, the importance of diet, and the importance of meditation. But one of the the things that I see people struggle with is being alone. You know, just being comfortable to be quiet with themselves. And I actually you've got some great videos on YouTube. Thank you. For those that are that are interested, all you have to do is search by her name. And I'll spell that A-M-B-I-K-A-D-E-V-I. You go to YouTube and search by that. But the one that really caught my eye was aloneness. Mm. That's a, it's such a powerful and potent topic because we're not trained societally to be comfortable to be alone. We, we're constantly bombarded by the media advertising telling us we need more, we need this, we have to fill ourselves with that, and and then uh, entertainment and movies and books talking about romance. And uh, we have to learn to separate imagination from what really is happening and what we're experiencing. When I was younger, when I was uh, in my teens, and early 20s, I struggled with loneliness and attention. And I came across the writing of Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, who was also known as Osho. And he had a, a bit about aloneness and embracing it. And that's, that's what woke me up to it. That's what really got my attention. And I started looking at how I was behaving and how I was relating to the idea of aloneness. And then time goes on. And as an astrologer, I, 
I talk to people primarily about relationships and communication. And I began to notice, and I'm sure you see this too in your practice, that there's such an attachment on the idea of something has to fill this sensation or this idea of emptiness in me. And we have to understand that the only thing that can do that is if you're a spiritual person or a religious person, you can put your spirituality, your connection to a divine being as that connection. But to imagine that another human being, a pet or something or an object can fill that space, no. And truly, once we learn how to devote ourselves and give to others, we become less needy about feeling lonely. Look, I live alone. I don't have a pet. We've been going through this intense separatism due to the pandemic. And there have been times where I feel lonely. Now, some people feel more comfortable reaching out or, or going to someone and saying, hey, I need some attention or can you spend some time with me? I am not that person, but I had to really look at if I'm really feeling lonely, then I have to take the solution. So I reached out to some friends and said, hey, I'm feeling kind of lonely. Can you video chat with me? Because most of my friends aren't local. They're international. So I I used to travel to go be with them and spend time with them. And now I'm here and they're not. So I had to really look at it. It, it doesn't go away, Lee. It, it's still here, but how we choose to handle it when we have that first reaction is our choice. That's true of any reaction we have. We have to understand that we have choices because anytime we have an emotional shift, that inspires the need for a choice. Every emotion triggers a choice. So we have to become more conscious of what kinds of choices we're making. You're right. We do. And and I think that that ties into our self-awareness. I think so many people just blast through their day at 150 miles an hour that they don't they don't slow down and even realize they're making a choice. They just do it. And I think that ties into, you know, our subconscious. Um, the, the true fact, every second, our brain is t- capable of taking in 11 million bits of data. And research shows that anywhere from 40 to 126 bits of data goes to your conscious mind. I personally think it's more towards 40, but it doesn't matter. We don't have to do the math. Where does it all go? It goes to your subconscious. So I think that some sometimes people get stuck in autopilot. Right. Yes. We're patterned beings. We will go with the most recent pattern. Yeah. And that's how we get into addictions. So we have to learn how to make better, healthier choices and how to how to treat ourselves, how to reward ourselves in healthier ways. So this goes with, you know, we could react to anger, frustration, loneliness, and we could try and self-medicate or, uh, you know, using whatever form. It could be food. It could be it could be exercise. People get addicted to that. Uh, You know, we just we have to really 
have a good look at ourselves and then we have to be honest with ourselves. Well, I mean, I can identify with that. There was a period in my life where I, I was addicted to exercise mm-hmm. and it was my stress release. Um, I had twins and wow. it was an it was an acceptable way for me to escape. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody looked down on me for going to the gym. And but but I got to the point where I needed it. And that's not healthy. That's that's, you know, when we talk addiction, I talk about the brain and, you know, you, you do something and you like it and the brain starts kicking out that dopamine. Mm-hmm. Oh, those little brain, those little neurons and dendrites get con- kind of get confused because you start off liking it. Then you, you want it, you know, and then, mm-hmm. then we start kicking out more dopamine and then we need it. And that's what addiction is all about. Mm-hmm. And that's where I was with that exercise. And yes, you know, I tell myself, well, you know, it, it was it was healthy. It was your mental health. Well, up until a point it was and then it crossed the line. Well, was it was it negatively impacting you or the people in your life? Well, if you interfered with with my ability to to go work out, you you were probably going to get some backlash. Ah, okay, yeah. yeah so it did. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it had multi multi folds of of what it was doing and what it was representing. I I I revert back to uh, traditional Oriental medicine. One of the axioms of that is everything in moderation. That's, I mean, if we look at all of these diets and these regimes and as you know, you have to do it this way. Uh, But if we really take everything in moderation, then it's easier to make better choices. I think, I mean, for me, that works out better. I think you're exactly right. And, And exercise is still a part of my daily life, but it's, it's in balance and for instance, I met a, a colleague for a cup of coffee this morning, and the me- the meeting got changed to 8 a.m. Well, that definitely impacted my exercise routine. Okay. Yeah. And I can imagine 20 years ago, what? What? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. So everything in moderation is, is a very good way to look at it. And I'm really curious because you you have a degree in astrology mm-hmm. and you use astrology mm-hmm. in relationships tell me how you do that <laughs> the art of relationship astrology is one of the sectors uh i do locational um astrology also i do i i i'm a full service astrologer uh relationship astrology Look, there's pop astrology. I used to write pop astrology, and I've also been on TV as a what I call a pop astrologer. And I, I don't do it anymore. Uh, I just don't think it's really helpful. Um, looking at just something like your sun sign or or a moon sign or a rising sign, that's just such a tiny fraction of it. So when we're looking at an astrological chart, everything within the chart is relationships. There are mathematical angles. And when we're doing relationship astrology, we're then taking all of that information in one chart and cross comparing it to another. It takes a lot of contemplation, math, and knowledge of all the mythological stories backing up the the why of all of these different things. So it's a cross comparison using mythology, counseling skills, uh, communication skills, 
and uh, calculus. Well, is it kind of like numerology? Well, numerology is a part of it, but uh, it's it's um, if we take like for instance, what's your sign, Lee? I'm a Capricorn. Okay, so when you were born, we measured the sun in that particular measurement system as being in uh, a 30 degree within the 30 degrees of what we call Capricorn. That's a fraction of your chart. That doesn't say who you are. And then there are different ways to interpret what that means in your chart. And then we can cross compare it to all the other planets in signs in your chart. And then we put those in houses. It's a lot. In India, there's there's a saying that it takes three lifetimes to be a sitar player. I don't know if you've ever held a sitar, <laughs> but it's not an easy instrument. I I could play guitar and ukulele. I cannot make much more than a twang on a sitar. So three lifetimes to be a sitar player takes nine lifetimes to be an astrologer. Wow. Yeah. So ease up. <laughs> it's a lot to understand. There you go. Yeah. So and you do you use the astrology? In your meditation? Uh, it can be because we can astrologically determine a tone, a particular monosyllable that will very potently and powerfully help to shift your awareness. And this is exactly how uh, you've, you've heard of TM, right? Transcendental yes. meditation. That's exactly yep. how they decide what your mantra is. They're using astrology. They don't usually overtly tell you this. I, you can probably ask them. And if you ask somebody who's received a mantra from that uh, tradition, uh, didn't they ask you for your birth information? They'll say yes. Well, that's what they were doing. They were they were looking at where the moon was to give you a particular sound that is very potent for you that you resonate with well you know we talked about meditation earlier and i'd kind of like to, to shift back to that because one of the questions that people ask me and i don't know how to answer it is they'll say you know also did you practice did you try to meditate well yeah i did but you know i don't know i don't know if i was in a meditative state or not uh -huh. how do i how do i know that Oh, that's a really great question. So there are symptoms of meditation. And the symptoms of meditation are that you don't know you have a gender. You don't know that you have a body. You don't know what day it is. You don't know what time it is. And you don't know that you are. So you, you stop thinking of yourself as a body. You stop thinking of yourself as a brain holding a mind inside a body. You see, we yogis, we, we see the mind as exterior. So we see it uh, as an exterior ocean. And that the brain, like a computer, is downloading information and translating it. But that's not where the mind is. So that's that's a big difference between that idea and and then i think neuroscience is starting to understand it <laughs> and uh, uh from the way we do i'm not saying either is right or wrong i think both have very valid amounts of information and uh but 
again, something I, I said earlier about forcing focus. If we're trying to reach a place, we're we're probably not getting into the meditative state. The meditative state is very relaxed. And then there are traditions that will teach meditation by saying, you know, close the eyes, focus on the breath, and watch the thoughts. What does that mean? That's confusing. That would freak me out and turn me off. I wouldn't know what to do with that. But then when it's explained a little bit differently, it starts to make sense to me. So if we close our eyes and we just take a moment to kind of tune into the physical body. And again, if you're doing this along with me and you're driving a car, please turn it off (laughs) and do this later. Come back to this later. But if you're in a place where you can just go through something with me for a couple minutes, let's do it. So close your eyes and just, just realize your eyes are closed. And now I want you to evaluate as if you're turning into a particle inside of your physical body and you can zoom around to any corner, any cell, anywhere in the body. Just notice what you're noticing. Just if, if you think, wow, you know, my, my left shoulder feels a little bit stiff and even though it was hurting me this morning when I woke up, you know, now it kind of feels better. And maybe put your next breath into that area. You know, just imagine it. Just use your imagination and just let let your mind travel around the physical body. And, you know, where does it feel comfortable? Where does it feel like it wants some attention? And then place your attention there. You see, energy follows attention. And then when we put our breath with it and we begin to breathe with intention to where our attention goes, we can start to make some little changes and adjustments. And then notice how your how your spine is if you're seated. If you're sitting up, can you straighten it a little bit more? Can you lift your chest and roll your shoulders up and back so that your shoulder blades are sitting comfortably on your back, but that your heart is open? When we lift our shoulders up, our heart's open. So now, again, just evaluate, feel. What did that change? And then turn the awareness to the breath. Now just notice the air coming in and out through your nose. And a lot of the yogic explanations and guidance uh, at this point, the information could be focused on the tip of your nose. But I like to personally focus on the inside front edges of my nostrils. Because there, I can notice the temperature of the air. That when I breathe it in, it feels cool. And when I exhale, it's as if it disappears. Just notice that. And if you can feel it, maybe you notice your belly when you breathe. Or maybe you notice the rise and fall of the ribs and the chest. It doesn't matter. Just wherever your attention goes. And then... Imagine you can put your attention back to the air coming in and out through your nose. And then just like we did before, let's empty out with an exhalation. And then take a deep breath in through the nose and we'll pause. And then very slowly, slowly let the air out and watch it disappear. Imagine it's like a river that just goes off into the distance. And when you're ready to take the next breath, take another breath in. 
and pause. And this time, let's just imagine that we're in the state of meditation. We're relaxed. The body feels comfortable. And then again, slowly, slowly exhale. Letting that air just drift out of the body. Drawing the tummy in. Feeling the muscles of the belly. And then a third breath. Now on this breath, we could decide to stay here. And we could relax the breath or we can decide to come back. So as you exhale, just notice what has shifted in the mind. Notice what has shifted in the physical body. And if you feel just a little bit more relaxed, then you are on your way there. You can let yourself come back now. But it really only takes three breaths to launch you. Because, and you know this, Lee, the mind, the brain waves fire in such a way that about every 90 seconds we potentially can move into a trance. And meditation is like a trance. And this is exactly how hypnotherapy works. We have to kind of hook into that, that brainwave pattern that potentially is there. And when we get it, then we can draw in. As, as a solo meditator, the more you practice and play with your breathing and this, and if you can notice just an emptiness, a quiet, a moment where there's no chatter, you were there. That was it. The, the trick is, Lee, to then grab it and then stretch it out so that it can continue on. Now, even great meditators have mind chatter. And what we learn how to do is we learn how to witness what's going on and not react to it in conversing with the mind chatter and then breathing again and taking ourselves back into the quiet. So meditation is like riding rolling waves. Those who can stay in deep, deep trance state for extended periods of time have done it and practiced it for a really long time. So, you know, we have well, to and, and that would be, a break. That would be you. Didn't you start meditating when you were six years old? I did, yes. How did you do that? I mean, at six years old, that's, I just sit here and shake my head no. <laughs> Um, well, it's a, it's a habit of the Quaker school system. I went to a Quaker school and every Wednesday morning, uh, all the kids from first grade to sixth grade would go and sit for an hour in a stone meeting house and it was cool and quiet and it just became a habit. And later when I began to look at and study meditation, I realized, hey, I was doing it back then. I learned how to sit still and quiet as a six-year-old. That's amazing because I'm, I know that I'm not the only one that's sitting here shaking their head. No, can't <laughs> visualize that for me. But, and I think, you know, I said in the very beginning when I introduced you, you're on a mission and that mission is to really to help people tap into their own capabilities and get out of that you know, that daily chug and, and, mm. and, you know, just start to enjoy life. 
And there's so many different things that people try to do to do that. You know, they'll take up a hobby. They'll take it, which I'm all in favor of. In 20 in 2020, I actually completed a painting, the first time I've ever painted. Oh, that's excellent. Uh, so, you know, I think we all look for things to put our energy in a more productive, constructive feeling way, because there was a lot of feelings put into that painting. But, you know, the more I talk to you, the more I realize it's not that hard. It just has to come from within. Well, and let's look at the painting. Was it the painting or was it the act of painting that was enjoyable? The end product of art is just that, an end product. It's the process. It's the journey of going through creating it. And I'm a writer, and I can sometimes get into a situation where I feel blocked, and I don't, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what to write next, or I have a project I'm trying to finish, and I'll go do another creative act like drawing or dancing or singing or even playing with Lego. I love Lego because, uh, you know, I can either follow directions if I want or I can just play and imagine. And it it unblocks me. I, I suffered some writing block recently and I got heavy into some Lego and before I knew it, I was back to the writing. It just, it just worked that way. And for me, okay, so that's how I find that peace inside. And that's how I unblock it. You've, you've definitely got the tools, everybody. You just have to go back and think, well, what made me happy when I was a kid? You know, if it's, if it's playing out in nature or uh, whatever, you know, you've, you've got to let yourself do that. And, uh, that's why I've got, uh, a workshop coming up, Lee, that's about finding your inner peace. And uh, I've teamed up with a friend of mine who's a therapist, and I'll be leading guided meditations and breathing exercises that'll be more intense than what I've shared here, but not so difficult that you wouldn't be able to do them. It's going to be super transformative, and it's called Finding Peace. And it'll be on September 24th through the 26th. It's virtual. And uh, you can wear your PJs and come and join us. <laughs> and I promise it will be transformative. It, Troy, who I'm I'm teaming up with, Troy Love is an amazing, gifted uh, counselor and therapist. And this is his mission, is helping people find inner peace. So I'm very honored to be a part of it. Well, and it sounds like the great thing is, is all you have to do is show up, you know, it's come in true. your PJs, mm-hmm. come in your, come in your heels, come in mm-hmm. whatever puts you in your comfort zone. That's, that's amazing. And, and so many of us need that. And, you know, it's okay to need a little help to get into that meditative state. It's okay to need a little, you know, educating. And I mean, I think that is it a, a two-day workshop? Or it's, a, it's Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. It's called Finding Peace. And I've got the link on my link tree. So if you can spell my name, A-M-B-I-K-A-D-E-V-I, uh, link tree slash my name, uh, or findingpeaceacademy.com. And you'll be able to find the retreat workshop with Troy and I. And uh, it's it it will be three days of incredible transformation. Well, thank you so much for being with me today, today and sharing your knowledge. And the opportunity is there for anyone that wants to learn how to meditate. 
behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio,